nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. They're wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Karim Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. Times ended up almost looking like a 6-3-1. Some very good writing about that on the Managing Madrid website. Frustrate podcast as well. Of course, Pere Valverde was a huge part of the equation. One. Hello and welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast on a Sunday night. It took us a few hours to recover from this one. The game was super early today and we normally like to record maximum like one hour after the final whistle. Today we couldn't, but also probably for the best we didn't record right after the final whistle after that one. Joining me tonight, rocking his Real Madrid jersey on the Zoom call. That That's dedication. When you rock up with your jersey, maybe smiling even, just proud to be a Madridista no matter what. That's what it's all about. Just when like Pablo Maffeo and Antonio Rayo are kicking the living crap out of your players and the crowd is booing and Real Madrid put in a terrible performance and lose and fall eight points adrift La Liga. You come to the podcast with your Real Madrid jersey and a smile. That's what Madridismo is all about. So welcome to the show, Mehdi. How you doing? Hey Kian, thank you so much. Yeah, that's that's what's all Madridismo is about, and also like uh, I wanted to sh- like show off my fourteen badge. If any non-Madridistas are watching this, whenever this goes up, so yeah, because uh, we we have to like ride that for a uh, for a while. I was listening to you and Lucas for I think the last mailbag and. Uh, you were talking about like how Madridistas from the West Coast, uh, they have to like get up super early to like, make their coffee at 4.30 or something. Uh, and they, they might wonder that, wow, we woke up for this. And you were just like right on cue. And it's, it, it was exactly the game that you thought it, it was going to be, probably even worse. And yeah, I, I woke up like, I, I'm in the Eastern times and I woke up at like 8 to watch this. And uh, yeah, it's it it was brutal. It was it was difficult to take. And the problem with these games, the the frustration with these games is that we have seen this exact game so many times. You kind of know that yeah, this is gonna be a one nil. I think by the sixtieth, seventieth minute, because if it's a remontada, like our bounce, the attitude of the players and everything is usually a bit different. In these kind of games, the moment Mallorca scored, like I was like I, I knew that this we're not going to win, win this game, and immediately how our players reacted. Overall, a very bad day uh, for Real Madrid fans in La Liga, at least. Uh, Barcelona brutally like defeated Sevilla, uh, eight points ahead now, uh, and no team in La Liga in the last two decades have won the league from where Real Madrid are right now after 19 or 20 games if they're eight points behind. No team has ever won La Liga from this position. So yeah, things are, things are not looking great domestically, at least. Um, yeah, the, the waking up early thing, it wasn't even a hard prediction. Without fail, this happens all the time. When you're playing at like 10 o'clock at night in Spain, every single weekend and then all of a sudden you have to play at you know a matinee or a 2 p.m 
the team just comes out lethargic. They're not used to it. They're just not ready. They're not up for it. The energy just isn't the same. But that's not an excuse. It's just it's just kind of what I expected, and that, that's how it went down. You told me off air that you're kind of bummed that every time you're invited to the podcast, it's a, it's a brutal game. It's a nil-nil. There's no goals. You want to be invited to the, the podcast when there's five, six goals. I got a... I got news for you, bro. If we only invited you when we scored five goals, you'd be on once a decade. That's it. That's it. <laughs> we Mahedi would no one even know know your name. You'd appear once a decade. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? I it, on some level, it's it's really disappointing. We can make all these excuses: the early kickoff, the, the hostile atmosphere, the heavy challenges, the the crowd booing, Mallorca's defensive block, all this, all like, you know, poor me, poor Real Madrid. I think it's just got to be a lot better. There's no excuse for me coming out. Like when you, when you look at this game and, and our, the, how late we were with our decision-making and figuring this Mallorca low block out, it was far too late. And even then we didn't really figure it out. We just kind of stumbled into like, oh, let's cross into Mariano and Rudiger and, and somehow get our best chances of the game from open play. I was really disappointed despite all of those, you know, quote unquote excuses you could have. And also a little bit maybe disappointing that this is coming back on the back of two games where that were actually pretty exciting. Two games where Real Madrid played a different style of football. They counterpressed. They had waves of chances. They controlled possession in the final third. It looked good. There was a different energy to the to the team. It looked like maybe a turnaround. And I'm not I'm not ruling anything out one way or the other. Like you said, the math and history is just against Real Madrid to win the league. It's that's that's not being pessimistic. It's just reality. Reading the situation, Barcelona are looking really good. Their defense remains incredible. So much is said about their offense. They Sevilla's xG today was 0.04. Uh, Barca's defense has been incredible this season. So there's the, there's the aspect of Barcelona not slowing down. And even if they do, I don't know if they'll slow down enough for Real Madrid to catch up because that also has to assume Real Madrid are perfect, which I don't think they will be. The math is just against Real Madrid and La Liga. Now, you could, maybe we can do our voodoo stuff in the Champions League and, and, and do something there. I don't know. Uh, call me skeptical, but I, I guess I won't rule it out. I won't rule anything out with this team. But it is it is hard to make up the ground in La Liga now. And uh, I guess I'm just curious. We can start here. When you look at the starting lineup, it looks fun, right? You know, yeah. all the young blood is in. The average age of the team today was 26 in the starting lineup. Usually it's 29. Asensio was the oldest player in attack. He's 27. The lineup was good. So where did you see the where did you see the problems? Where do they lie? I think it's. I think it's our players. They this Real Madrid players have this tendency of just switching off. Sometimes in games, it used to happen under Zidane a lot. Like during the last stretch of his first stand, like our team would just switch off after the 70th minute, and suddenly they'll concede a goal, and boom, the three points are gone. And that has happened like more frequently. I think after that, that sometimes it's during like an entire game that the team is just not playing to their fullest level it doesn't matter if, even if this game was at like seven in the morning spanish time if this was a champions league game i can promise you that our team wouldn't turn up the way they turned up today nacho said something in the post-match conference that uh it was a very difficult game because like we had to play during the day i don't really buy it because like they like 
they train every day during the during daytime and uh also at this level like at the level where real madrid belongs the timing of the game just cannot be an excuse and that that too from the captain uh, of the night and also so where it where it went wrong for me is i think real madrid goes into these games particularly against opponents like these i think there is a lack of tactical preparation again if this was psg if this was liverpool if this was manchester city the team would prepare better at least on a tactical level because some of they the would prepare better in the is, in the last 30 minutes of the second leg before that i don't think they would yeah, prepare well. yeah 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 they'll, they'll prepare better in the last 30 minutes of the second leg and if that's in the Bernabeu. so uh like how many free kicks did real madrid get in this entire game not a single free kick was a convincing one even from a cross or from a shot so they you know you're going to, going to face a low block you know you probably have to maximize your set piece situations but like our players they don't even know we don't even have a permanent set piece taker at this point asensio is taking one sabaz mm-hmm. is taking one so on a tactical rodrigo level, was taking corners today too yeah yeah, Rodrigo is taking corners. So on a tactical level, this team just doesn't take anything else as seriously as they probably would a Champions League game. Sometimes, not always, obviously. Sometimes on a games like this, uh, and this is not just the players. Like this, this stems from even further behind. This stems from the team management, the coaching staff, the scouting, the preparation uh, is just. It was just not there. The bounce was just not there. So I think whatever Real Madrid lacked, Real Madrid lacked even before the game started. It was, was nothing in-game. And we can like talk about the in-game stuff as we like go, go along with the spot. Well, you mentioned the free kicks. To put it into perspective and just put the number on it, I'm sure everyone's seen it by now. Mallorca made 29 fouls today. How many free kicks did Real Madrid have? Almost one every three minutes in this game. Which was... A clear plan from Mallorca, like, hey, let's just let's just get in their head, just foul the crap out of them. Now, I'm not. I want the thing is, I don't not even necessarily against it. Whatever works, man. As long as you don't injure someone, if that's your plan, if it's just to tactically foul every two seconds, do it. Um, ten, ten of those fouls were on Vinicius Junior. He was fouled ten times. It's funny because when you look at Real Madrid's style of play and what they were trying to do. It actually was not dissimilar to the, the two previous games, Real Sociedad and uh, Valencia. The difference really is that Mallorca just defended much better. I wrote about some of the staggering numbers of the Valencia and Real Sociedad games and how they were both above average for the season in terms of field tilt, in, in terms of their defensive numbers, even they, they, their best defensive game of the season was against Valencia. You can chalk that up to a little bit of Valencia. We're in tur- turmoil. They're at rock bottom. But also, Ramja did a lot of good things. This game, um, 73% possession, 77% of the field tilt. Um, they kept a really high line. They only allowed three passes per defensive action, which basically means that Mallorca did nothing with the ball. Every time they got it, they lost it immediately to Real Madrid. They also barely did anything offensively at all. The Muriki chance slash uh, Nacho Ongo was literally the only time they actually really threatened. Um, they had a couple 
almost chances at the end when Real Madrid opened up, but Carvajal had one big one intervention, Kamavinga had another. So from a pure defensive perspective, this worked again. Um, but the d- main difference here was that Mallorca were very, very organized. Anytime they weren't fouling, they just had clogged the middle channel. And then to make it worse, Real Madrid is, was predictable. I, I don't know what your assessment was. Yep. The ball so, would go to Vinicius and everyone yeah, would kind of uh-huh. watch to see what he would do. If he can get past Pablo Mafeo, great, which he didn't today, then he would be met with another defender and then another. If he gets past all four, there's still nothing he can do because there's no one in the box. And because like you, you see everybody's just kind of hanging back in central channels or or behind him. That That's why this was kind of a rare game where Mariano Diaz actually made sense. And the first chance from open play actually came through a header from him or or a chance from him in the box. So talk about Real Madrid's offense and and maybe how lost to look, Mahidi. Yeah, so the point that you made about Vinicius Jr. like just getting bombarded with defender after defender. In that case, I'm just going to like go back a little further in terms of Real Madrid's starting lineup. The starting lineup was okay, but as as long as Ancelotti saw that you no know, things are not working, they've already conceded. I think at halftime he should have brought on Cruz. And I say this why? Because you see, even Vinicius was like guarded by four players. Uh, even if Rodrigo or like Kamavinga would join him, Mallorca were giving nothing. They were still you know clogging that area. Mallorca's defensive you know left hand side or Real Madrid's right hand side was empty the entire time. Usually, if you have Crows there, he is is not only like the best passer in the world, he's also the best switcher in the world. He switches play like instantly just like that. So every time Chuameni is on the ball, he's he's looking for someone, then he's turning back, passing it back to the left once again. He's giving it to Rudiger. Rudiger usually is uh, a reliable switcher, but he was playing on the right-hand side of the defense anyway. So that's one in-game tweak, I think, Ancelotti should definitely have made to enhance Real Madrid's attack was to bring on Cruz uh, straight away after, after halftime. In that case, like Real Madrid didn't change their game plan, and so didn't Mallorca. They were still, you know, holding their fort on the left, and Real Madrid were again creating absolutely nothing. Uh, and because Real Madrid were so slow to switch the ball over to the other flank, they couldn't create anything from the other flank as well. So uh, going into these games, hoping that, okay, some inspirational performance will come through, someone will find inspiration, someone will transcend, like how Ceballos uh, transcended against Villarreal in the Copa del Rey, that someone will do that. That just cannot be a tactical approach to tackle these games. That just, it, it's real much this too big of a club for this kind of approach in this kind of era where, where the margin between uh, the tactical level of the lowest side in the league and the high side is the le- league is not as same as it used to be in like 2004 or 2005. Every team has some kind of blueprint that can nullify even the big biggest teams how Mallorca did today. So I think like just nothing went Real Madrid's way today. Everything went wrong. Look, I, I mean, you you mentioned the the point about the margin of error being less this season and all that. I I mean, it's not just Barca. Like we 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 kind of talk yeah. about oh Barca's better, you know, 
they're a better rival. They were better than last year. That's true, but there's a lot of teams that are better. Like Real Sociedad yeah. is just like a really good team. They're hot. On, they're actually hot on our heels now in third place. It's, they're not that far back. I think I don't know. I think maybe five points or something, something like that. They dropped points today. Would have been much smaller had they not had a surprise upset uh, against Valladolid at home. But it's it's a it's a good league. There's a lot of strong teams. Now there is an argument like, hey, look, you're Real Madrid. No matter who you put on the field, you should be taking care of business against Mallorca. This is this is unacceptable. The unpredictability, or or rather, actually, the predictability. Sorry, it's a lot. It was a little bit disappointing to me. It just did not seem to add up to me logically that, on top of everything, the whole Vinicius situation. Um, Every away stadium is the same. He's going against the right back. The right back is having the game of his life. Vinicius met with three, four different bodies. Benzema's absence today was also huge too, obviously, because I think sometimes I think Rodrigo actually could have come over to Vinicius and 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 linked up with him a little bit better. Kamavinga wasn't as efficient in the final third as he has been in previous games, although I thought Kamavinga was actually one of the rare bright spots today. We can talk about it. Uh just logically doesn't make sense that that can't be your best solution is to give the ball to this guy over and over and over and over again. And, and you just got so much to do. There's, this is not a good game plan. I'm sorry. It's not on one hand. It's, it's, it's good in the sense that like so many complaints about Real Madrid in the past have been, we need more verticality, enough sideway passing. We've seen, we've heard this, right? Enough sideway passing, drive the ball forward. So Vinicius has that element. He probably takes it to another level, and I think he needs to learn how to sometimes pull it back, recycle possession, let the game come to him. He is probably the extreme opposite of sideway passing. He is, let's just go, go, go at all times. And I think there are going to be times where he needs to learn how to, when to decelerate and when to accelerate and just get his other teammates involved a little bit more. Because we always say, you know, oh, he has three, four players he has to beat. But we also need to talk about the fact that in, on some level, he is a construct. He constructs those situations of having to beat three, four players where he could also wind it back a little bit, get others involved and work the and progress the ball up the field. There was very little penetration from central channels. And again, no target in the box because if you wanted to get the ball into the box and Mallorca had three central defenders today and they were had, they had a very organized block, their rotations were quick. You needed somebody. You needed somebody in the box. Um, what else stood out to you in in the first half? Uh, nothing much. Uh, the only thing like that that was bugging me throughout the first half was obviously the the amount of free kicks that we got and we kind of wasted. Uh, apart from that, uh, when I talk about individual performances, wasn't wasn't really a. a game that Ceballos could you know do much about as well uh Fede Valverde had a had a pretty pretty quiet game he's obviously like going through personal stuff and I I wholeheartedly support him even through this rough patch I know like when he's going to come back we know what 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 like carnage he's going to mm-hmm. cause when when he when to finally come back and the situation that he's going through his personal life right now that is so much more important than any sport so like full support for him in that regard, and he can take as much time as he needs to come back to his best. Uh, other than that, nothing, nothing awfully stood out to me in the first half. Uh, 
and the chance that real madrid like the goal that real madrid conceded again possibly probably nacho or lunin they couldn't have done anything about it anyway even probably cortoa would have would not have been done anything uh about that but like Moriki I think he has scored a similar goal against us last season or probably this season it, it was this season time is, yeah yeah it, it it was it was this season so he he's, he scored the same goal against us uh almost similar goal so you know that they have a you know fox in the box kind of a poacher who is very strong in the air uh why have nacho cover him like why not have rudiger on him nacho is like half a foot shorter than the guy even at nacho's full flight he's never going to you know just go over his shoulders unfortunate own goal i can understand that but then again the decision of putting nacho on riki is because you didn't uh, probably scout the opponent well enough that you should you should know that you have to put your best defender you have to put your most physical defender against this guy so yeah again another another opportunity missed there that's that's all i got for the first time i guess okay so on the muriki point uh, i you know this is a guy that we watched a lot with mallorca last season because we were watching the kubo games and stuff and he like mallorca again they just are not good offensively right but this is one of those guys who if if they're going to score a goal it's probably him doing something with his head He's a freak. He's really tall. He gets in on the end of crosses in a similar way that Mariano does. Like, you know, he he basically does these super superhuman physical uh, exertions to get to the ball. And he's really, really strong and he's tall. So if, I remember right before the the last time we played against Mallorca in the Bernabeu, I said, like, if they're going to, this is one thing you have to look out for is the Mariki headers. And he scores. Today's goal, I, I feel like, so this is what happened essentially, because you, you said, why is Nacho marking him? What happened in that sequence is Rudiger's on the right, Nacho's on the left. Moriki starts his run from the left side. He cuts near post and he basically drags Nacho with him. What I think you could argue, there's there's two potential things that could have happened, but I think it's really difficult to switch on the fly like that if Rudiger can go and switch really quick. But I don't think Rudiger was really aware of what was happening behind him and Nacho was covering him. So Nacho got dragged over and there's no way that Nacho's going to get ahead of him. Um, and I said, uh, you know, I, I think it's a really good goal by Muriki. And, you know, people were pointing out, yeah, it's not his goal. He didn't do anything. It went off Nacho. Fine. But no, the point still stands. He made a really intelligent run and he got his head to it and the rest is, you know, deflected off Nacho and went in. It was a little bit unlucky from not for Nacho and Lunin. Lunin's not doing anything about that. Um, but it is what it is. I mean, I'm not saying you would have won this game if you're not if you if you but I I really think you could have maybe come away with a draw. It's a kind of a sad, sad standard to have, but that's all that Mallorca really did um from an attacking standpoint. It, it took a freak goal. Um for them to score on the first half. There's just a couple other things I'll, I'll bring up really quickly. You mentioned Fede. Fede's passing was really, really poor in this game. Um, yeah. Disappointing for him to have a little bit of a come down after playing really good against Real Sociedad. He surprisingly hit the bench against Valencia, right? I don't know if that affected him a little bit. 
Um, because based on merit, I thought maybe him, but for sure, Rodrigo should have started that game. They both come into this game. Um, yeah, I mean, like our our high line held up well for the most part. Um, so that's all, all I really got. Let's move to the second half. Um, before the subs, was there any noticeable shift in Real Madrid's play? Did you find, or or did you see something later after the subs? Uh, no, I think still. Uh... I think the team started the second half better than the first half. That's that's for sure. Uh, there was a slight improvement. Uh, in the first half, they were like still contemplating whether to give it to Vinicius, whether to, uh, you know, at, at certain stages. Uh, they were a bit reluctant to give it to Vinicius even at times. But in the second half, they're like, all right, uh, we're not going to get anything out of this game without giving the ball to him. So let's let's just try doing that. So the team started doing that. Uh, and uh, yeah, so it it generally started more livelier than uh, how it was in the first half, but nothing substantial, nothing that uh, you can, uh, you know, I think point exactly towards that. Okay, this was a great chance. Uh, I, I don't exactly have the notes on how many free kicks we got again before the subs i think we got at least a couple uh and unfortunately none of those were yeah before modric came on we we did we did have a couple of more free kicks that uh, ceballos and uh asensio were over and one of them was i think really close to the close to the box and asensio very weirdly he tried to like chip it as a cross that was i think a really good opportunity for a direct hit uh, but uh, yeah, that's that's all I got before the subs. Uh, I, I my point being, Cruz should have been subbed in right at halftime anyway. Uh, Cruz or perhaps even Alaba. I think there if there was one more calm head, one more senior head at that time when the team is just just you know struggling for inspiration, just struggling for some balance. Uh, one of the senior guys would have helped, and who knows if like. Uh, was Cruz already there? No, I don't. I don't think so. We we missed the penalty before the subs, right? Uh, before any of the subs came on, because if yeah, if Mordrich was there, he would have taken the penalty. So yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think if if one of those guys were in, we probably don't even miss the penalty. Who knows? But I think if Cruz is there, Cruz takes it, or if Mordrich is there, Mordrich takes it. So yeah, that's that's all I got before before the subs. Yeah, the penalty miss was in the 59th minute, and uh, Modric comes in minute 63, Cruz comes in minute 70. I think that's an, that's a valid point about the leadership aspect of it that might help channel the offense in a better way. Not having both Cruz and Modric on the... It's funny because I think pairing them together on many levels is problematic. But pairing neither of them can also be problematic. <laughs> I don't know if there's like a middle yeah. ground here where you can have one of them just to have their leadership and direction. And I, you know, I, I think Cruz Cruz had a niggle, so I, I think he wasn't going to start this game regardless. Like he wasn't 100, 100%. So they didn't want to put him from the start. I understand. Maybe Mordo should have started this game. But, um, you know, th- 
I'm not going to get too into I'm not I'm not going to criticize his lineup really to be honest at all because we have a club world cup happening now and there's like a million games and far be it me being to be the expert to to know how to juggle these rotations and and I was actually happy with the starting lineup when I saw it on paper so I'm not going to complain about that um I did want to mention something about the Asensio penalty I know he missed it probably would have been opportunistic to say it had he scored. So now I feel at least maybe the opposite of opportunistic or at least maybe even just more daring to say that this is what I believe. I think he was the right choice for the penalty. He missed it, but I think he was the right choice. Um, you know, Matt and I talked about this after that penalty shootout we had in the Super Cup against um, Valencia, where... All four of those penalties were amazing. It was Benzema, Cruz, Modric, Asensio. And Ancelotti revealed, like, that's going to be the four. You know, it's based on experience. Asensio was the most experienced attacker on the field. I think it was the right choice. So we can argue all we want about Asensio is this or that. He shouldn't have shot it. That's what something he's theoretically supposed to be good at. Um, you put it in his hands. Uh, I think it was the right decision, um, even though he missed it. Hindsight is easy. Um, I, I get, I get, also get Ancelotti's point because he said after the game that Rodrigo, we weren't sure because you know he had missed that penalty shootout in the World Cup. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that. Yep, yeah, I don't necessarily disagree on the Asensio point, but I would, uh, I would like put an alternative perspective on what Ancelotti said. Like a penalty miss is a penalty miss. Like I'm not going to like discuss too much about that. It can like even Cristiano Ronaldo has missed penalties. Like Sergio Ramos probably hasn't in his last couple of years. He scored almost all of them. But Ronaldo has, Benzema has, uh, Asensio missed one. It's fine. But I have some disagreement regarding the Rodrigo point that Ancelotti said that he missed that penalty and. In the in the World Cup, so that might have affected him. So does that mean Rodrigo is never going to take another penalty for Real Madrid ever again? Real Madrid doesn't really play easy games. Does that mean that Rodrigo will only take a penalty if it's in the Copa del Rey first leg? Uh, apart from that, every game Real Madrid plays is a big game. So if you are backing a young player as one of your set piece takers, you should keep backing him. It it brings me to a very old point when uh like way back in 2006 uh, Argentina just before in the in the quarterfinals of the World Cup uh Argentina's coach Jose Peckerman he took off team's best player Juan Roman Riquelme because he had missed a penalty for Villarreal in La Liga or uh, or in the Champions League or something like that so uh I can understand why you chose Asensio. He has a pretty sick left foot as well. He just scored a banger the other day. He he was high on confidence. He scored against Valencia. But I'm not necessarily in agreement with the Rodrigo point because Rodrigo is also a good penalty taker. Good penalty takers can some, sometimes miss penalties in big occasions like Rodrigo did. So I think Real Madrid, if, if that's the case, then Rodrigo shouldn't never take a penalty for Real Madrid ever again. And if that's not the case, they should back him in, in, in next games. It's a fair point. I mean, at what point are you just put it aside? Because you have to, he's not going to not take a penalty again. And, but, but again, so what, yeah, that, that's a, that's a good, really good point about, I mean, at, at some point he has to take it. And 
I think he has the mental ability to to come through with this yep. and 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 be fine. Um, but anyways, I, I just think in the context of this particular um, situation, I was in hindsight, maybe I, I would have rather Rodrigo to take it or anyone else because I sense you'll miss. But in, in the moment, I think it was a valid decision. We should talk about Vinicius and everything surrounding him. That's clearly um, a huge talking point. How Vinicius has dealt with these challenges and how everyone has been treating him. Nacho said after the game that it feels like a lot of these fans don't even know what they're booing the kid about. Like they just feel like they have to do it because everyone's doing it. How does this eventually diffuse or does it just keep getting worse? I I see this just keep getting worse unless Real Madrid is on like an extraterrestrial level on the pitch because these fans wouldn't boo Vinicius if they were if Marco was four 0 down at halftime. So it it I think uh, the whole Vinicius thing this has got nothing to do with football. It has got to do with other social issues like racism and everything attached to it. Why the like they're you know getting after this player uh, you know criticizing each and every move he makes his, his celebrations and everything and he he got fouled 10 times today right his per 90 uh, foul stats is 3 point something this season so he got fouled more than three times how much he usually does per game in in this same game and uh, as we see like in, in so many outlets that everything Vinicius does is, is somehow his fault. Uh, we have seen uh, Sevilla sporting director Monkey, who is a respected figure in Spanish football. I think he liked a tweet that said that if Gabriel Paulista uh, receives a financial penalty for fouling Vinicius, as good citizens of Spain, we should all pay that fine. And Monkey liked that tweet. Uh, and, and it was all over Twitter after the a game against Valencia. So th- these things, it's it's now everyone's like joining that bandwagon that, okay, everyone's uh, getting against Vinicius, let us join that as well. I don't see, on the pitch at least, I don't see it getting diffused or slowing down unless like Real Madrid starts banging goals against these smaller sides or like any side that's doing this. If we're like 2-0 up, 3-0 up by halftime, uh, LA fans are not going to boo Vinicius. They're going to be busy with something else. But then again, you can't guarantee that against every opponent or any opponent, really. Uh, it is it is no longer a football issue. I'm not sure as a club how much Real Madrid are interested or even Real Madrid can do. I mean, like, everyone at Madrid loves Vinicius. We know that. Like, Carlo Ancelotti the other day, he said, like after uh, uh, Rayo said that Vinicius uh, is not a role model for his kids, Carlo Ancelotti said that he's a role model for all four of Ancelotti's grandsons, which was pretty wholesome. So I think from the club, Vinicius has everyone's backing. Now even people are speaking publicly in his support as well. But the social issue attached to it, we somehow have to diffuse it with football if we, you know, can beat these teams like that. Uh, they're 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 going to be concerned about football at that point on as well. But apart from that, whatever, like I understand of the situation, I don't see it diffusing anytime soon. What about you? 
Uh, listen, I, the answer to this is often just winning. Winning, scoring goals, a lot of that in itself. Put it this way. I'd love for Vinicius to just do the, the talking on the field. You're not going to see the clownery from, you know, Pablo Maffeo acting like an absolute clown if his team is losing today. Yeah. And so so that's that. But there are real issues here. I mean, winning is not going to solve uh, a doll hanging from a bridge. You know, that, that that's just a completely different thing which stems from from racism. And, and and pure pure hate that is is not acceptable. Some of the stuff today was was banter, but it was crossing the line. I think the thirty fouls and ten of them being on Vinicius. I think Carlo Ancelotti had a point to be frustrated with the ref. Like, dude, just we need to protect these guys. And the fact that Vinicius makes one challenge and it's a yellow, whereas these guys are allowed five, six, seven, eight before a yellow gets dished out. I will say though, the yellow he took is I think part of part of what Vinicius needs to figure out how to solve. Because the yellow he took was really silly. It's off the ball. He yeah. clearly just goes out of his way to trip Mafeo in the box. And he gets the yellow for it. Now he misses the next game. So now Real Madrid are forced to finally play without him. Um that's probably the only way it was going to happen for him to rest. So on that on that level that actually might be good. But uh that yellow that he took was needless, and it was a clear sign to me that they were in his head. And I think he needs to use everything that's happening now to level up from a mental standpoint, to look at this and be like, okay, what can I actually do differently? Because this is, like you you said, I don't think it's going to get better. If anything, it might get uglier. It might get uglier. Like we thought... We thought maybe Gabriel comes in with that vicious challenge. He gets banned a couple games. Maybe other players will tone it down. That didn't happen today. It got it got worse. I, I would say like we didn't have the necessarily the Gabriel level challenge, but we had multiple throughout that were just nasty um, and a lot of heated words exchanged. Carlo Ancelotti getting involved even. So I, I don't think it's going to get any better. But I think but but I think Vinicius himself needs to figure out how to do the talking on the field and not let get people get in his head because it's affecting his performance. His It's affecting his decision-making. And you could see that today he was just kind of still getting into it. Like he was responding to what they were doing to him. He was responding to the fans. And I think it's affecting his performance. So he needs to, I think, level up from a mental standpoint and come out of the stronger, which I think he will. That's my prediction from all this. He's still really young. I think he's going to harness all this and learn eventually to figure out. And he's going to have to. If he's going to be a great player, he has to learn how to figure out how to turn this um, into momentum for his performance rather than let it hamper it and let it get in his head. That's the next step for him is the mental standpoint, mental aspect of this. Because right now he's losing the mental battle. Yeah, he, he he clearly is, and I feel bad for him because he he's not really like this, you know. He he's he's still inexperienced. He's still a young guy. It's it it must be difficult for him to control emotions at at points like these as well. And sometimes I don't know. It it might he might just you know feel a bit lonely because he's having to do all the heavy lifting on that left flank. Real Madrid's tactical setup is set up in a way that. 
the lack of structure in these games particularly they they really you know hurt us in, in so many levels one more additional point that i would just like to add on like how to probably get past this well this would probably not happen if real madrid's captain is iker casillas or uh, sergio ramos right now or real madrid have a big contingent in the spanish national team i say this because especially like spanish players they they have this you know reverence respect towards the national team players national team captain vice captains real madrid used to have the captain vice captain third captain everyone of the spanish national team used to play for real madrid at one point in time so right now if carvajal gets picked or like Asensio gets picked for the national team, it's like breaking news for Madrid media that yay, like one of our players got picked. So I think that's also a point. Like we're we're not a big presence in the national teams, so Spanish players not do do not really probably revere Real Madrid or like have. And I'm I'm in in no way like trying to say that they should you know cut Real Madrid any slack or anything. Play as hard as you want against us, but that respect. I think that's also a bit gone because Madrid is like a as a international team. Uh, teams like players from all countries all over the world play here. But yeah, probably the Spanish national team point is something worth considering or putting some thought to. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a valid point too. Um, I want to say something else about this. Ancelotti said after the game, this is not all Vinicius' fault. I'd like him to look in the mirror also and say, I think it's a lot down to Carlo too. Because Ancelotti may not have control over some things, but he has control over how Real Madrid play. He can also get, like, so many of these games, Vinicius is caught on the left flank. Pull him out. Put him in the middle. Tell him to go switch flanks. Like this happened. He's the only one who just doesn't go and switch flanks that I've seen. Mbappe, Neymar, they switch flanks. Cristiano and Bale were switching flanks. You see it all the time. It keeps defenders guessing. If it's not working against Mafeo, go to the other side. Let Mallorca just be like, oh, shit, that, we didn't expect that. Go overload the right side a little bit. There are, there are all kinds of wrinkles at your disposal that you can use that could at least shake it up a bit. To, to decrease the predictability and the onus of one player. Uh, get Rodrigo involved. Again, this was a, a, the right side was not... Um, I think I think Carvajal came up at some point during this podcast. We, we spoke about him. Carvajal, another game where he was poor. Again, apart from some, some good last-ditch defensive interventions at the end. He tried this nutmeg from from in deep at the first half under pressure. That wasn't the first time he's done something like that. He did it against super in the Super Cup too. Just get the ball out of there. He, the, Mallorca nearly um, had a great chance from that turnover, but he's also not doing anything offensively, which is staggering because he didn't have that much to do defensively either. So the right side again was a problem. We weren't getting anything, and it's because not because we didn't have players on the right. We did, but we just focused, again, so much effort on the left side. And if you want to use Vinicius, fine, but let him at least go down the middle. Let him go down to the right side a little bit, shake things up, go against the left back a little bit. See if you can uh, do some link up with Asensio and Rodrigo around Jame Casta and, and get behind him. There are ways around this. So I think Ancelotti also has to accept some of this blame because even though Vinicius is not to blame, sure. But so then list off all the things that, are to blame and I think I think he has himself to blame for some of this too. 
Um, yep. I want to talk about Kamavinga. What was your assessment yeah, sure. of his performance? He was again good. Uh, all the Madrid based Twitter pages like kind of jinxed him because they were posting the stats that it's been like 200 something minutes when Real Madrid haven't conceded a goal when Kamavinga starts left back and I think immediately after posting that Madrid conceded but I think he was good he was he was a bit uh, I would say redundant at times because he just didn't have anything to do or didn't have any space to exploit in front of him he hardly made any overlaps or I should rather say he was hardly ever allowed to make any overlaps I think defensively it was a good game from him he he stuck around uh up to the Mallorca attackers from the right, uh, made some uh, you know chasing tackles, uh, some some nice sliding tackles as well. The the ones he usually does. So again, like once again, a solid performance, but it's going to get lost in in this loss. But yeah, I I think he was probably the only player who wasn't disappointing in the starting eleven today. Well, he also had the same issue that a lot of these attackers had and that like Kamavinga couldn't dribble past anyone in the final third either. He was having difficulty finding space. What he did do really well was, I mean, his his challenges were incredible today. He had four really important interventions. The slide tackle he had in the in the first half in the box was so clean and it was like his classic vintage Kamavinga slide, Cobra slide tackle. Those are breathtaking every time he does them. I thought, I don't think he was like a a great like I, him and Ceballos both had one of their poorer games in the last you know few in this last stretch but he did some really good things defensively Ceballos too uh a weird one none of it was really his fault but he also his passing was a little poor he tried to get vertical passes in the middle zones but again Mallorca were so tight um that there wasn't much for him like to to exploit and he would get fouled like every time he touched the ball also like he was another one who they tried to really stifle and make sure that he didn't get going he still ended up with four key passes uh i don't know where those came from because again real madrid's chances weren't that clear cut um one thing that i would have liked to have seen earlier and again this is not a genius tactical revelation it's just something small that actually started to work a little bit there was no presence in the box until Mariano came in. Yeah. So our best chance from open play, apart from the, uh, yeah, open play, so not including the penalty, was 69th minute, cross to Mariano. And he does well to get on the end of it, but he can't redirect it into the net. Mm-hmm. You had Antonio Rudiger. Was it? I'm trying to figure out which one. That was at the Alaba cross, I think, or was it Cruz? I can't remember. No, Alaba had another cross to Mariano and then Cruz had the yeah. cross to Rudiger at the end, 97th minute. Even that wasn't like amazing. It was like that one was 0.04 on the XG. But it's just something like you had to give Rayo and all three of those central defenders something to think about. They had nothing to think about until Rudiger and Militao were getting in the box to do something. So that needed to be done earlier, I think. Yeah, that needs to be done earlier. And sometimes, like football is simple. When you can get past this eight, nine, ten bodies with vertical passes or like off ball movement, just put bodies in the box and cross. That has worked. That has won Real Madrid so many trophies, not even just games. So you have bodies like Chuameni, 
uh, you have bodies like Rudiger, why not just send them over uh, more often? And uh, again, I'm going to bring the same point for the third time in this podcast. Why not utilize your uh, set pieces a bit better with those bodies in, in the box, which which set pieces are available throughout the game, corners and free kicks. So, uh, yeah, uh, that is a tactic that did miss. Well, see, Kian, I love Ancelotti. Like, I love the guy. I love the manager. Like, true and true Real, Real Madrid legend. There is absolutely zero doubts about that. And he's going to be part of Real Madrid's folklore. It doesn't matter how this season ends or how his second stint with Real Madrid ends. But I cannot help but think that Ancelotti's second stint will end uh, at Real Madrid because of this predictability. Because our in-game in-game management hasn't been up to the mark, especially in these games. Uh, you see, uh, a draw against Sociedad doesn't hurt us, but losing points against Rio and Mallorca, losing like all six of points of them, these things do hurt them. And we lose these points because of our predictability. So I think this predictability is going to be Carlos and whether we like it or not, because if he, if he doesn't change that, Every team in Spain knows how Real Madrid will play. Every team will plan accordingly like that. Yeah. Um, you you said something I wanted to touch on there. I can't remember what it was. Um, set pieces, too many in the box. Set pieces, too many in the box. Something, I think it was something about set pieces, but I can't remember what it was now. Um, well, you mentioned too many who might as well use that as the, the a launching pad to talk about him. First start in a long time. What was your assessment of his performance? Uh, I think defensively, he was good. In offense, I expected more of him. Defensively, he was actually putting some hard tackles and getting a few of these back to uh, Mallorca players as well, which I liked. In these games, you kind of have to do that uh, when when they're beating up your players all around. And I think defensively, he was, he was pretty good. But... I think he was getting out of his blocks a bit slower. It's it's with the switches, with the passing. I think it was a bit lethargic. Especially the switches were were you know much more lethargic than I would expect from Chouameni. Uh That hurt us a lot, especially in the first half. I would say. So I think defensively it was it was okay. Offensively it was disappointing for me. His uh, he had a couple passes that were nice, neat, one touch football, but they. Um... I think a couple other times he kind of forced the pass and we lost possession. Defensively, yeah, he was good. Um, also had four aerial duels won. The the physicality of of what he brought to the table and just his his general ball progression and in, in, in his coverage there was was pretty good. I, I was overall, I don't think he I think I don't think he was our main problem today. This is what I wanted to mention. Because yeah. you mentioned sometimes all it takes is, you know one vertical pass or one pass into the box or one cross to to break a low block. Mm. That one pass thing over the top, that's what led to the penalty. It was yeah. a really perfect ball over the top of Mallorca's defensive line. Rodrigo tries to get it on the end of it. It falls to Vinicius. He wins the penalty. Those moments were were too few and far between for us. I think we needed more 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 things like that to happen. And uh, we just didn't get enough. I'm, uh, I'm, my, my candle slowly burning out. Mehdi, do you, is there anything that you want to talk about that we missed? 
not about this game. Ancelotti did try to excite us about the Club World Cup. I'm going to be honest. I've watched my fair share of Club World Cups. As a Madrid fan, I've probably never been less excited about one as I am right now. Even during the Solari season, remember, that was... I was really excited for that because Marcos Llorente was getting minutes and I, I really used to like hype him up at, at that particular point in time. And that season like was like anything you can get your hands on is, is a bonus. So I was actually, you know, very, very passionate about the Club World Cup uh, under Solari. But right now, everything just looks so bleak. I would rather have our players rest in Madrid right now than to... I, I don't even know where the Club World Cup is right now. Is it in Saudi Arabia again? Morocco. Or Morocco? Morocco? Yeah. Okay. So Not too far. Yeah. Not not too far. So they're going to go and play a couple of games against uh, possibly uh, 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 possibly difficult teams, obviously, because their brand of football is not aligned with uh, what Real Madrid faces day in, day out. Uh, if Flamengo, I think, is one of the other teams that can go to the final. Uh, uh, so, Real Madrid are playing uh, Al-Ahli, I guess. So, I, I've, I have never been so pessimistic, so indifferent to the Club World Cup, probably, during my time of fandom. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'll still tune in. Uh, let's see. Probably a break from La Liga brings our mojo back. That's probably the only hope that we can have right now. And... Uh, the the fixture is as brutal, as difficult, as chaotic as it can be after the Club World Cup. Uh, but yeah, for the time being, let's let's just uh, stay with the Club World Cup. We'll cross the other bridge when we get there. Yeah, look, I I'll be really honest. I I don't I don't even remember anything from the Club World Cups, barely, like really barely. Um, like sometimes like there will be these articles like Club World Cup stats. Real Madrid has won it five times. This is like or whatever we've won. I'm like, really? What? When was I don't I know it, it happened, but I can't remember anything from it. I have like a vague memory of I think it was Modric who scored a really nice volley in one of those games under the Solari era. Um, what I remember Ronaldo is, scored a final uh, was scored a hat trick, I think, in the 2017 semifinal or something. He scored a hat trick, I think. I remember more like the old. There was it. Was, I think it was called something different. It was under Intercontinental form. Cup. Yeah, yeah. It was I remember Raul's goal against Vasco da Gama. I remember uh, we beat Boca Juniors three two in the final. The 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 Club World Cup usually gets interesting when you play the South American rival. If if there's a final between yeah. South America and Europe, it's usually a fun game. But yeah, look, count me count me in the same camp. I. I'd rather us rest and get our heads straight. I, I suppose if there's any benefit that could come from it is you get you get a, a juice of morale from it. Yeah. And you win it. And yeah. just lifting the, the trophy does something to your brain to rewire it for the rest of the season. That would be the hope. But I, I don't know. Mehedi, good chatting, man. I'm sorry that this was another occasion where Ram <laughs> took an L. <laughs> uh, hopefully we'll have you on for some W's very soon. Yep. Uh, but thanks for tuning in. And for our listeners, um, Lucas and I will be back tomorrow on Monday for LDA Dispuest. And if you have any questions, you can submit them through Discord. I know there's only a couple in the Discord channel. So we'll take those and we'll talk about it tomorrow. Mehedi, thanks, buddy. It was good chatting. Take care. 
Thanks for listening, everyone. And before we send you along on your way and wrap it up here, we wanted to give a quick shout out to our patrons over on patreon.com slash managing Madrid. The ever-growing Real Madrid family that is being built there is incredible. And we're really thankful to be on this journey with you guys. So shout out to all of our patrons who get a ton of bonus content. If you want to get in on the action, go to patreon.com slash managing Madrid. And a specific shout out to these $10 plus patrons, because if you pledge $10 or more, not only do you get guaranteed responses to your questions, but you also get a specific shout out on the podcast. So shout out to these $10 patrons as follows. Brandon Alvarez, Willie Reed, Will, Will Sousa, Way Pairing, Tobias Royal Botcher, Talib Salhab, Tahmid Kalam, Sujaiwani, Sumanchu Singh, Shay Hatiri, Shamil, Shabazz Sharapov, Sergio Arispe, Santos Solorsano, Samuli Justin, Sam Razi, Said Mahan, Sai Mohan, Sasi Kumar, Rodrigo Balmaceda, Rishi D, Phoenix, Peter Powell, Paulo Fierro, Patrick Odayafari, As- uh, Nico Laxo, Oscar Barrera, Mowgli, MJ Diego, Marin Myrtle, Michael Zinberg, Nicholas Moeller, Matthew Atkins, Martin Ridman, Magnus Lext, Logan Stahl, Leon Stavronakis, Kunal Tilakar, Crystal Glass, Kevin Rivera, Jose Cruz, John Fernandez, Jason Fitz, Ian Marley, Graham Gerard, Gary Cohood, Frederick Rantakiro, Frederick Sundros, Faisal Hamdan, S.A., Davisito, Eloy Enriquez, Edward Sossman, Daniel Williams, Con P., Christian Toft, Christian Acosta, Charles Williams, Brendan Powers, Brandon Stevens, Ashik Bashar, Arnab Mukherjee, Armand Gashi, Armin, Armando L, Anirud Singh, Ananya Kumar, Azaz Hussein, Adrian Rios, Adar Zalukovic, Adam Dorsey, Bella Chow, Varun, Ramtin Magrur, Fabian Moreno, and Daniel Smith. You guys are legends. Thank you so much. Love you all and Hala Marib.